spark the conversation. Welcome to the Spark the Conversation podcast in partnership with Gondrepreneur.com. I'm your host, Bianca Green. Um, today, I get to sit down with my good friend, Aaron Justice of Buds and Roses in Studio City, a dispensary that's existed um, since I've been in the game, so over eight years. Um, I know Aaron for many years. He uh, was always a participant in the Cannabis Cups, so I got to know him and his family there. And then I always saw Aaron in D.C. and Sacramento. So he was one of the very only people, really, that I would always see at both places, you know, in advocacy and in the competitive side um, of the cups. And so I've always had a kin toward him because he participated in being a part of the change. Uh, He's the CEO of Buds and Roses and, um, you know, has strains that they develop there. It's one of the nicest dispensaries I've been in. Um, It's just a really upscale, beautiful, um, you know, really comfortable environment that, um, you know, a lot of clientele that's in that area are very comfortable going to. So he really did a lot to change the stigma of how people get access to their medicine. And I admire him for a lot of his work. I'm really excited to talk to him today about his entrepreneurialism and, you know, kind of see where he's at. You know, one of the things that I think that we're looking at achieving with this podcast is getting information out there to people so they understand what's going on, what some of the things people have been up against running businesses and, you know, how to be responsible through advocacy um, as well as being an entrepreneur. So hearing from him and some of our other guests that are going to be throughout this podcast, I think are going to be really exciting because some of these people are the pioneers. Um, and it's really good information. So I'm glad to have everybody with us today. Hi, Aaron. We're here today with Aaron Justice of Buds and Roses. Good to have you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, Aaron and I have known each other for quite some time, right? Um, I met you, I think the first time I met you was at a ACE Unity conference um, in DC when we went to, you know, lobby. But one of the interesting things about you, Aaron, is that I always saw you at a time when it wasn't really popular, you know, being at the cups as a vendor and then also as an advocate in DC and Sacramento. Um, there were very few people that I saw on a, on a crossover. And so I've always had a camaraderie with you based on that. Um, and, you know, just watching your business flourish, you going from, you know, your first location down the street and now being in this awesome location. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of everything that you've done with Buds and Roses and the way that you've kind of, you know, branded yourself and put yourself out there as a leader in the community. Wow, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, that's awesome. Yeah, so, you know, I guess one of the things we should really start talking about is how did you get into the industry? Well, um, let's see, I, I can go really far back and when I was probably 15 is when I first got in the industry. <laughs> 
Um, but I started really using cannabis when I was 17 for um, what I later found out to be medical purposes. I didn't really know why I was using it at first, but I knew I liked it. And when I was about 19, I read Jack Harris' book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And it just totally blew me away how uh, cannabis, just the lies that were told to make cannabis illegal, and then the effect that that has on so many people um, in so many communities and the damage that it does. And I just, it, it like put a fire in my belly. And um, I, I went and attended my first normal conference, I think in uh, 1998. Wow. actually met Jack Hare and um, spent a little time with him and, and from there just kind of got into it and did what I could legally in the cannabis business, which was um, started a hemp clothing company and just promoted cannabis and uh, kind of like sparking the conversation back then by yeah. having shirts that just said like marijuana medicine shop or save the planet but cross the e out so it was like save the plant yeah and um kind of just did that and and started going at high times cannabis cups but they were only in amsterdam then and yeah. so yeah that's kind of how i got in and you've been a huge winner at these cups i mean you showed me a, a cannabis cup um medal that you guys won in what year you yeah well in, in your garage in, yeah in yeah. like uh 98 um i had a booth selling my hemp clothing and we brought hemp sweaters and hemp gloves that year. And it was so cold uh, in Amsterdam, like everyone just bought them up. <laughs> and so I won a Cannabis Cup Award for Best New Hemp Product. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, that's it was awesome. great. It was very motivating for sure. Yeah, and then how did it evolve into becoming a club owner? Well, um, you know, I always remained an activist. I did some lobbying with Illinois Normal for a while. And then I just kind of stepped back a little bit. Um, it, I, you couldn't make a lot of money selling hemp clothes and going to these festivals, but I met a lot of people and it was fun. But, um, you know, I had a, I have a family to focus on then and, and now, and um, I did other retail businesses, but I, I just wasn't feeling it. You know, I wanted to do something more important. I wanted to do something that could change the world for the better. And I remember one day about eight or nine years ago, uh, watching Marijuana Inc. on CNBC and I remember I saw Richard Lee on there, and, and I remember when he just said, uh, the, the interviewer asked him, so do you feel like you're a legal business? And he said, well, I paid over $500,000 in federal taxes last year, so you know, I feel like I'm legal, they're taking my money. Yeah. And I pay state, you know, local taxes, and just a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh my God, there's a real cannabis industry in California, and I have to go there and be a part of it. Wow. So you like picked up your family from Chicago and moved out here. Tell me what that journey was like. Yeah. So I remember I told my wife, I was like, hey, we're moving to California and I'm getting in the cannabis <laughs> industry. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And she said, OK. And then later that night and, and she's not very emotional. She doesn't cry a lot, um, almost never. And she, I noticed she was crying and I said, well, what's going on? And she said, well, you said we're going to move to California and I think you're serious and I'm just like <laughs> trying to process this and she said but you know what you go out there and make it work and I will we'll, we'll come out there afterwards so um, jumped on a plane with my best friend Tyler Wadley who is still um, our head cultivator and we just flew out to California and we was like how are we gonna get in this industry and I started by going to Oaksterdam University um, there was one in Beverly Hills at the time I met you know Jeff Jones Dale Sky Jones 
and, and they gave me some good advice. And then I started going to ASA, Americans for Safe Access events. Shout and I out. ran into Steve D'Angelo and Don Duncan. And um, I just met all these great people. And, Who are great drug policy reform advocates. Oh, yeah. And, and they do it the right way, yeah. you know? And um, I just said, hey, I have to get a dispensary here. What can we do? And I actually looked in Washington, D.C., where there were some opportunities, and L.A. Mm. But um, L.A. is where I wanted to be. It was where I wanted to live and, and grow a business. And uh, we ended up with Buds and Roses in about a year. So The name. <laughs> I love the name. How did the name come about? Well, you know, I actually didn't come up with the name. Um, so I took over Buds and Roses in 2010. And it was a very um, unknown dispensary. They, they didn't have a lot of patients. I think the annual sales in 2009 were $40,000 for the year. And um, there was only one employee, the lady who started it. And, um, you know, she just came up with the name. And the thing is that I remember when I first uh, became the president and, and got on the board, I said, you know, we can't use this name because it's not medical enough. We're, mm -hmm. we're going to get raided. We need to be like Los Angeles Patient Center or, sure, or Care sure. Center. Yeah. And, um, but the thing is, people just kept coming in and they're like, I love this name. I love this name. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, things were good. We didn't get raided the first year or two. And we thought, okay, we have to start like promoting this. And mm -hmm. I, I remember even when we first started promoting it, we would put like buds and roses really little and then collective really big because yeah. we were trying to get people to focus on the word collective like you know because we are a state nonprofit and we do operate as a collective but you know as we started growing the business and and winning awards and things like that we just kind of redesigned the logo and and ran with it well it's worked for you you know one of the things that you guys did really well from your for your branding was you made erica made those great clothing lines, right? So you would give those out at the cups and it, a lot of people wore those. I mean, we gave them to John Sally. Who yeah. else has worn them that's, you know, gotten uh, it out there? Yeah, a lot of, just a lot of good people yeah. have worn it and they, and they love just kind of the brand and, and it stands for something and. Yeah, and you have a really big celebrity clientele out here. Um, that is, you know, obviously really good for marketing and branding. Um, the the idea that you guys built the clothing line out as a separate entity though yeah. is was a really smart move especially to solidify your intellectual property right yeah. so mm -hmm. it gives you the opportunity to trademark yes. in certain areas where you still can't trademark strains and, and things like that why don't you talk a little bit about that from the yeah um, like one of the only ways to kind of trademark your dispensary or if you're uh, creating products for the industry is you can't trademark cannabis specific. Mm -hmm. So um, you want to come up with different things that you can trademark. So it is the clothing, it's smoking accessories. We've had ashtrays and dube tubes and things like that. Lighters can even be trademarked. And you can even turn your uh, website, if it's informational, mm -hmm. into a trademark that it's, um, you're giving information on this site. So you have to do a lot of workarounds um, to get the trademark going for when they do finally accept cannabis trademarks. That's great. I yeah. mean, good proactive ways to like keep your intellectual property because now, you know, three, even three years ago when nobody was paying attention, there was a lot of opportunity, but now people are coming in from all different angles oh, yeah. and really just trying to suck up the IPs that are, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, and there's, um, I, I just saw a major lawsuit against one of like the world's biggest corporations against somebody in the cannabis industry and they got almost a half a million dollar judgment against this small uh, cannabis company for using something with their logo. So it's, uh, 
it's these bigger corporations are also definitely starting to pay attention. And, and, and they're creating laws. Like in Oregon, you're not allowed to use Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. There's, you know, there's been bans on using some of the other names. So it's definitely growing up in how we look at it. I mean, I've always thought that if we sophisticated the, um, the way that we talk about cannabis, um, not only as a, as a medicine, but it, in the way that we brand it, you know, AK-47, there's yeah. just cer <laughs> certain names that might you know, intimidate a new consumer um, to kind of come, you know, on board and, and, and get with it. But yeah, with the Girl Scout uh, cookies, I just have to say this, um, they actually sent me a cease and desist letter um, a few years ago. And I, we had the Girl one, Scouts yeah, did? we had won the U.S. Cannabis Cup with with Girl Scout cookies. And, you know, it, it wasn't a the, we weren't selling the seeds. We're yeah. not the creator of it. We just grew it in one. And yeah, they sent me a letter and it just said like, stop using the name. And, and I didn't bring it up at the time. I've mentioned it since, yeah. but the last thing I wanted was a fight with Girl, Girl Scouts Scout of cookies America. Of America. <laughs> just oh my like, God. that's okay. It was actually the, the phenotype that we had is, is called platinum cookies. So we actually had already changed it to that and, and we haven't you know, had any problems since, but. So do you do a lot of genetics here? Um, we, we have created some genetics in the past. It's not something we're, uh, we're working on so much now, but we have created strains like Joey strain, which is, um, was created for Joey, who um, his mother started the Unconventional Foundation for Autism, Miko Perez. Yeah. And um, we, were, we have been donating medicine for Joey for a long time, and then we just we found a strain that we cultivated and, and bred that worked really well for him, and that created Joey strain. What's that like? Like the pressure of cr literally creating a medicine for a child, like that—that's got to be an insurmountable yeah. <laughs> amount of undertaking. Yeah, you know, it, it wasn't that. We actually had bred a few different strains, and then this one actually worked for him. So it used—we used to call it Alpha Dog, and then um, it, it just worked so well for him. We renamed it. So. You know, creating a strain for him would have been really difficult because everybody's body is different. And it wasn't, it, it's not CBD that works for him, it's THC. Mm. And then it's just, um, I guess, finding the terpenes and things like, in, in the combination of cannabinoids in that strain just happens to work really well for him. So he kind of lucked out, I guess. Like, how does that even work? Like, you become then a scientist in a yeah. way. Like yeah, it's, um, and, and you never know if it's going to work for everybody like that or if they're going to have different reactions. So there, there is just certain strains that we were providing for him where, um, and this has happened recently if we don't have the Joey strain, where he could take something and then he's up for days, like literally almost a week, and then Miko is up for almost a week. And, uh, and it's just you definitely want to get the right medicine for people. And consistency is important, so I'm sure as a business owner it stresses you out that like, God forbid you get shut down, people rely on their medicine from you in particular. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, what's I mean, that like? And, and, and this does happen even if we don't get shut down. The other problem is um, our providers who get shut down. So the, one of my biggest things right now is trying to keep consistent product on the mm. shelf. You know, when somebody finds something that works for them, it's like we don't want to run out of that. They might come every three weeks, every four weeks, and sometimes uh, drivers still get arrested, um, manufacturing facilities, cultivators get shut down, and there's a big lapse in product. And, and there's already, even in a, 
a market where people aren't getting shut down. They're really not able to produce as much as they'd like or as much as the demand is out there. So in this industry, we're constantly running out of products mm. and, and not having consistency like we'd like. What's the LA market like? Well, it's big, um, probably the biggest in the country, if, if not the world. And uh, they're fairly sophisticated and educated. Um, there's been medical cannabis providers here for 10 years plus, maybe 12 years. And um, they definitely have, there's probably 1,000 dispensaries that are operating outside of the little regulation that we do have here. And it just, people have a wide experience of it, but it also is really like, uh, amateur or it's, it's not what it could be because the regulations don't exist. So um, you hear officials all over Southern California and in California say, oh, there's a problem with all these dispensaries. They're an eyesore. They, they, um, they're not really providing medicine. They're doing this and that. And I just feel like you can't judge a marketplace when it's unregulated. Um, of course, if, if bars were not regulated, and it, things would be out of control. So. Um, Los Angeles has yet to see what a truly regulated market looks like, and that's kind of how we tried to operate because, you know, my mentors were Steve D'Angelo of Harborside, Don Duncan of um, uh, LAPCG, and other dispensaries. He started, I think, the first one in the state almost 20 years ago, mm. or Robert Jacob from Peace and Medicine, just these pioneers. So even though we're not regulated where we have to label things properly or it doesn't have to have the nutrition facts and all that. It doesn't have to be lab tested. We just push for those and set our own regulations. Yeah, at the state of marijuana, uh, Betty Yee spoke, the state controller, and she spoke about how um, you know the government essentially is listening because we're the only industry that's begging for regulations. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which is yeah. really interesting. But you know, I've met a lot of really good you know people in this industry that came from the movement. You know, tell me about. <laughs> for you as a business owner who's been a business owner for a while, watching the movement go into a real industry and what that feels like. I know that your, your business is thriving, but at the same time you're working with political issues, bans, um, you know, Prop 64 that's coming. How's that going to change, you know, the future for you? There must be just a lot of nuances to your business that wouldn't exist if you had a shoe store. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think a lot, I think a lot of industries um, deal with their own issues. And so some of the stuff that we deal with is, is somewhat normal just for a struggling business owner. But then some of the things we deal with are way beyond normal. So the fact that we, you know, we've survived through bans. There was a complete ban on dispensaries in LA. And this, at this time, I'm worried about my home being raided, my dog being, you know, shot in front of my kids and all these things just for providing medical cannabis. So, you know, we've had to deal with that. We've had to deal with several bank accounts being shut down, um, truly unfair tax laws where we can't write off any expenses and we get audited and we owe hundreds of thousands of dollars even though we didn't make any money those years. Um, so, you know, it's definitely been difficult. And also, just in LA alone, LA hasn't regulated. Um, so there's tons of work at the local level, at the state level, and at the national level um, that, I just, I feel like if we can get through these really difficult times, we should be able to get through anything, but it'd be nice to kind of uh, get going normally. Yeah. You did a lot of work with Glocka for local ordinance issues, yep. with, with lo local ordinance issues. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah. So we're the oldest trade association of its kind. We've been around for almost 10 years in Los Angeles. 
And we've always tried to work with the city and create regulations in LA and push that and be a positive force and self-regulate our dispensaries as well and, and set up our own rules and regulations for that. Um, this year has just been, it, it's been interesting. We, um, there's a couple different groups of uh, operators here that are, are somewhat legal. There's two trade associations. And you know, our trade association took the view that the city just held off on regulations because the state never regulated. And, and it's such a big city, they didn't want to take on that task. Um, but going forward this year, Glocka felt like we could work with the city. They were going to regulate. We didn't have to be so forceful like we had been in the past. And maybe the other trade association was a little more worried about how the city mm. would react. So we kind of both took our own angles on it. But as we kind of merged today, the, uh, the city council's going forward with it. Um, but our, our city is very diverse, so they want to make sure that there's room for minorities, which is a, a trend in the industry, which I think is, is extremely important um, to not cut the people that have been most affected by the war on drugs out of the legal industry. So it's very positive to see that. Um, we want to get licensed for the activities we've been doing for almost 10 years here. And we want to open it up so that the people that have been providing our dispensaries um, have, have the right to continue to operate as well. So it's definitely feeling very positive lately, um, but we have just a ton of work to do. What do you think some of the greatest challenges have been for you, um, you know, building this business? I mean, probably the biggest thing is um, just it being illegal still and not even though like when I say we're somewhat regulated in LA it basically says that all dispensaries are illegal but about 100 of us have limited immunity so we're still not fully accepted by the law so we have a constant struggle with that and then it's just all the things of um, trying to build a business in a, in a market like this where you can't get loans you can't get finance investors are weary of what's happening here and plus, I mean, look, 90% of the dispensaries in LA um, are operating outside of those regulations, and that's just a, a big competitive advantage for them. So it's, it's been hard to survive, especially when you're being transparent and you're doing things the right way when so many people are not. But I, again, I think if we can survive through this, it'll, it'll make the future easier. What do you think is going to happen to the black market, though? These people who aren't regulated, do you think that they're going to get regulated? And, and if prohibition ends, how, what do you think that'll look like? Well, I think that um, if they overtax it, that the black market can definitely thrive and stay strong. So we need to keep the taxes low. Um, they're already, we already pay high taxes to our city, to the state, with the federal interference. Um, we pay a lot of tax. So we want to keep that low, but I think the best way to, to kind of build the legitimate market is to offer services and things that the black market just can't. And I believe over time, people will see the value in going to a legitimate place versus the black market. Yeah, because customer service is really important. I mean, yeah. I, I've, I've given you feedback on your business many mm -hmm. times because I think that the consumer experience is what's really been changing the game for a lot of people. I remember the first time I went to a dispensary and listening to the bars close behind you and yeah. you had to walk in the <laughs> You know, there's just this massive like fear a little bit and you really make a wonderful consumer experience. Thank you, yeah. You know, I know Erica was a part of, you know, yes. really spearheading, creating the atmosphere in Buds and Roses, and it's really beautiful and warm and, you know, friendly, uh, especially as, like, a single woman. I feel very comfortable coming in, and 
um, it's a very good customer experience. You know, that's really important to draw in um, a new clientele, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what, what do you see the future of Buds and Roses being if, if legalization happens on November 8th? Yeah, I mean, you know, our Buds and Roses is already moving forward with these huge law changes in medical cannabis. And I think that with Prop 64, legalization definitely looks like it's going to pass. I think that'll just continue to move everything forward. I mean, our goal is to kind of max out the licensing that you can get in California, which is uh, three stores, manufacturing license, and a grow. And that'll be really our, our big steps in the next five years. But truly beyond that, um, my heart lies in cannabis cafes. I really want those in like every neighborhood on the planet, you know, wherever you can get um, coffee and fast food and alcohol, you should be able to get cannabis. And that's where I was really inspired in Amsterdam when I walked into a cannabis cafe. So, I mean, I love doing the retail thing, um, having dispensaries, and if I could have those all over, I want to do that too. But uh, the cannabis cafes, I'm, I'm really excited about, giving people a place to socialize. and. Yeah, I think that that's like the next thing, right? Yeah. I mean, we know at Cups, even at Advocacy, everybody smokes. So having a, an experience with your you know, fellow man yeah. um, is, is pretty much the thing that brings us all together, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about cannabis? Like, what, what is it about the plant that, that drives you? Um, I, I love it. I mean, it just, uh, it, it really, first of all, just works amazingly well with the body to kind of regulate yourself. And if, if your stomach hurts, if you have a headache, like there's all these normal things it can do to balance you out. But then it truly like gives me motivation and energy to do, to do the task that I need to accomplish. And it also just, it gets people thinking deep and talking about deeper conversations where, you know, I like alcohol, but it has the opposite effect, you know. It's, it's, alcohol is a completely different substance. It's not going to necessarily, most of the time, lead to any really productive, deep conversations. And I think that through that, cannabis really changes people and, and ultimately changes the world. It changes their thoughts, which influence their behavior, which will influence the world. So it's a, it's a great thing. And what's it been like being able to supply the medicine to patients for as long as you have so far? Like what, what are the most profound things that have happened to you as a business owner being able to provide safe access to this plant? Well, you know, the biggest thing is that when I, um, before I had the dispensary, you know, people look at people in cannabis, look down on them. You're not being praised. You're not being um, thanked. And I open buds and roses, patients come in, and people are literally, like, people have grabbed me and said, like, You're sa you saved my life. Thank you for everything you do. I was taking all these pills and doing all this stuff. And then, like, the next day, um, a mom comes in, and she's like, thank you so much. My kids, you know, they're on the spectrum. And uh, I'm not, at this point, providing them with cannabis, but I have to, you know, deal with my children, and it's very stressful. And the doctor was giving me pills for that, and now I'm using cannabis. Thank you so much. And it's just, like, every single day, there's praise, there's love. And, I mean, it just feels so good to have a business that can make so many people feel happy and I mean, the, the stories we hear are just every single day, the, the things are amazing how much benefit cannabis has brought to people's lives. And it's, 
it's so rewarding. I, c I couldn't think of doing anything else. So you would say that's one of the biggest rewards of oh, yeah. owning Buds and Roses oh, and yeah. going through all the shit that you go through to keep it alive. Yeah. 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 So what's the future um, look like for in 2017 for Buds and Roses? Well, I think that 2017 is a year to really, for us and myself, to be really involved in the rules that are made. So yes, we've passed um, the legislation, but now we have to pass the regulation. So just, I want to be as involved as possible throughout the process so that our patients, um, so that the laws are written in a way that benefits our patients and everybody. Is there any advice you have any for any entrepreneurs that are coming into the industry that might want to be a, a dispensary owner? Yeah, I, I would say that the first advice is that you know money won't just fall out of the sky. You're not, you know, everybody thinks, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna sell cannabis and I'm gonna be super rich. It's a competitive place. Um, it gets more and more competitive. So you definitely, you know, do what you love. I, I just believe that if you do anything just for the money, it's not going to work out. So just make sure that you really want to provide medicine. You want to have a retail operation. I mean, look, you're open every day of the year. You're open late at night. Um, so just retail in general has its own um, uh, negatives that, that people kind of stay away from in the real world. It's, it's different than if you're manufacturing a product. You know, you're not dealing with the same hours. So just make sure you love it and um, you know, do it right. Do something positive that people can be proud of. That's what's made us, you know, given us our reputation. And get involved with policies and advocacy because if you're outside of the loop, um, then you're just reacting all the time and, and you can't really be prepared. So. Well, thank you, Aaron, for having us thank here you. today and having the Spark the Conversation bus, you know, come to the store. It, it means a lot to us to be able to continue to change the stigma. Um, and, and for you guys to be a part of that is, is really empowering. Uh, tell our audience where we can find you. Yeah. Well, you can find us if you're here in California. You can find us on Ventura Boulevard in Studio City. Um, it's actually a neighborhood of Los Angeles, so 13047. Or you can check us out online, Facebook, Buds and Roses, Instagram, Buds and Roses, everywhere, Buds and Roses. Awesome. And Buds and Roses clothing? Is That's that right. still Is yeah. that still active? <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Awesome. Well, Buds and Roses, Aaron Justice, thank you so much. Let's spark the conversation because it's a joint effort. That's right. Spark the Conversation is really excited to do this partnership with Gonjapreneur.com creating these podcasts. Um, it's a resource for cannabis professionals, advocates, patients, business owners, um, anyone really who's in favor of responsible growth. So visit Gonjapreneur.com for daily cannabis news, uh, career openings, company profiles, and of course, you know, more episodes of this podcast. Um, we're thankful to them and the partnership that we have with them. And we appreciate the fact that they spark the conversation and help entrepreneurs grow. All I want you to do is spark the conversation.